Hey, we got Florida people back, eh? Good to see you. I'm glad it's not real warm yet. Serves you right. Anyway, (laughs) now I want to say to everybody, happy April. You know what I mean? I love this month. I don't know if you do or not, but I mean, uh, things are starting to bud. It's starting to green up a little bit. I just told Susan it's going to get warm pretty soon. You know, we've got, uh, we got Easter. I mean, it's just a great month. Days are getting longer. Now, last week I stopped to get gas and it said 249 and I was so tickled to get gas for 249 and then when I went to pay for it, it was 414 so it was Friday. It was April Fuels joke, you know what I mean? So we got that going on in April, but that's okay. That's fun too. By the way, you have any idea what monster plays the most April Fuels jokes? Anybody? Frankenstein. Frankenstein does. I, I read last week that letters A and letter C were going to do a April Fool's prank on one of their buddies, but instead they just let her be. If you're visiting, I just got one more, and it's best to just let me finish, okay? I read last week that some kids broke into the police department, and April Fool's joke, they took all the toilet seats. Police have absolutely nothing to go on. Happy April. Now, you know, I know most of the time, good news doesn't come from the graveyard, but it did 2,000 years ago in April. When Jesus broke out of that tomb and rose from the dead and shook up the world, man. I mean, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. But what are the odds? I mean, if you were a Martian looking down on the planet 2,000 years ago, would you have bet on the Roman Empire or this little band of Christians who claimed that a carpenter had come back from the dead? And yet here we are 2,000 years later, and this movement has been so successful, we name our kids Peter, Paul, and Mary. We name our dogs Caesar, Augustus, and Nero, you know. How did that happen? Easter happened. Jesus happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. I'll tell you something else. The resurrection of Jesus Christ separates our religion from every false religion on the planet. There are monuments to the deception of every false religion that ever came down the pike. Monuments to the deception of every man that claimed to have come down from God to give us all the word we need to hear. And those monuments are found all over the world. You know where they are? Yeah, they're in graveyards, tombs, graves. Because without exception, they're full of the bones of the dead men who claim to come to earth as more than men. But you go to Jerusalem. And you check out the grave of Jesus Christ, that's a whole different story. Some of you have been there. I hope to one day. You get to that tomb, and that tomb is empty because he came out of the grave and shook up the world. And listen, this is not just some Christian fairy tale that fuzzy-faced preachers spread about in April every year. This is documented history. You can look it up. And because of that history, billions of people around the planet during the month of April are going to stop what they're doing and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now, some are going to wait till Easter, two weeks from today. Some are going to come next week because Palm Sunday, because the kids will be involved. But some have started already because they want to recalibrate their lives. They want to rededicate back to Jesus. But everybody's asking the same question, and they ask it all the time. I know this is good news, but does it change anything? What kind of impact for me? I mean, I hear people all the time. They'll say to me, Cain, okay, listen to me. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Okay, I believe that. No doubt about it in my mind. Fact is, I've believed it for years. What I want to know is, what difference does it make to my life on a day-to-day basis? Because I don't go to church every day. But there's a lot of stuff going on out there right now. I mean, you look at the world right now, it's on fire. I mean, economically, morally, politically, 
I mean, I just heard last week that the Canes and the Millers and the Petersons have broke ties with Mickey Mouse. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, things are crazy out here right now. What I want to know is that this is this news that I can use. Well, I hope you're asking that question because I'd like to talk to you about this morning. I'd like to start with the last phrase of the model prayer from the King James Version. Now, this is not in some of the earliest manuscripts, so it's probably not going to be in your NIV, but that's okay. It's in the King James Version. It's been recited for 2,000 years per instruction. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, and it goes like this. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You heard that? Would you repeat that with me? Let's do it. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What I want to do is, is um, remind you of three I know, brief conversations with some close friends of Jesus post-resurrection and compare that with the prayer he told us to pray prior to the resurrection. And I think when we compare those two, you're going to see immediately this Easter stuff is good news we can use. Here's phrase number one. Yours is the kingdom. And then Jesus said, follow me. What he's saying is, you've been saying all along, yours is the kingdom, and now I'm telling you, put your money where your mouth is. He said in John chapter 21, verse 19, he looked him right in the eye, unapologetically, and said, follow me. You've been praying this, you saw me raised from the dead, if you really believe it, follow me. Follow me because you know that it's true. Follow my teachings. Treat people the way I treated them. Love people the way I love people. And you know what that means? That means you tell them the truth. People need the truth these days. And I'm not talking about cultural truth to make everybody feel happy and fuzzy. I'm talking about biblical truth. Listen to me, family. You cannot separate the written word from the spoken word. It's the same thing. And we need to speak the truth. People need the truth these days. You love them the way I loved them. You, you feed the hungry the way I fed the hungry. Visit the sick and the lonely the way I did it serve each other the way I served you, and live a life of high integrity the way I did, not caving in to temptations of the society and, and the desires of this world. Follow me, Jesus says. And I'm telling you, once in a while, maybe more than once in a while for some of us, we, we think about, reflect on the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead, and then we hear those words, follow me, and something stirs inside of us, and we say, boy, you got it. I mean, you got me, Jesus. I'll go anywhere you tell me to go. I'll do anything you tell me to do. Of course I'll follow you. I'm all in. Anybody ever been there with Jesus? Raise your hand if you ever got there. It's powerful, man, to feel that way and to say those words to Jesus. But I want to warn you, as soon as those words come out of your mouth or go past your heart or your mind, you're going to hear a voice deep inside of you that says something a little different. It's going to say, hold on there a minute, Baba Louie. You better cool your jets here. And I need to think about this for a minute. You've only got one life. Are you really going to surrender that to a Savior that you can't see, touch, have dinner with, talk to? I mean, are you kidding me? You're going to do that? If you haven't heard those words, you're going to hear them, and I'll tell you why. Because you and I, every one of us in here, have a kingdom problem. It's just the truth. Because when it comes to living our lives, all of us want it to be my kingdom and my power and my glory forever. Amen. And that's the truth. Let's just, let's not lie about it. Let's admit it. There's a, a real good commentary on this. It's a book about political science from a very well-known theologian by the name of Dr. Zeus. And the name of the book is Yervil the Turtle. You remember that book? It's a classic. 
It's a story about a little pond full of turtles, all under the rule of King Ural, but he wants his kingdom to be bigger. I'm king, he said, of all I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. Sounds like Dr. Zeus, doesn't it? So here's what he decided to do. He put out an order that all the turtles in the pond would stack themselves on top of each other and build this huge throne so that King Ural could get on top and see more kingdom. And so they went at it, dozens and thousands of turtles, until they finally got to the top. And King Yurtle got to the top and could see for miles. And it was beautiful and awesome. I'm Yurtle the turtle, oh, marvelous me. I'm the ruler of all I can see. King Turtle the Great. King Yurtle the Great. But just like a lot of people, a lot of us, he failed to understand that his little kingdom and his throne was not as secure as he thought it was turned out to be a turtle tower of Babel. Listen to what Zeus says. And that turtle on the bottom did a plain little thing. He burped. And that burp shook the throne of the king. And today that great yurtle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. Because that's all he could see. The king fell off his throne. Goes on a lot, doesn't it? The last shall be first, Jesus said. Those that try to exalt themselves will be humbled, Jesus said. And listen, that's not a command. That's just the way it is in the real kingdom. And the reason it's that way in the real kingdom is because it's never never been my kingdom. Never been your kingdom. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, yours is the kingdom forever. Amen. But it's tough, isn't it? Isn't it tough to turn everything over to Jesus? Do you know what sits at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? A nervous wreck. And this teaching, man, when you finally figure out how true this is, it'll make you a nervous wreck because, listen, all of us want to build my little kingdom, my family, my home, my career, my friends, my church, my school, everything under control, my agenda, my happiness. I want to be in charge. And listen, some of us are obnoxious about this, and we admit it right up front. At least we're honest. It's my life, and I'm going to live it my way. Others of us are a little more sneaky about it. We're subtle. We claim to want to follow Christ, but really we're all about me and my kingdom because every one of us have a kingdom problem. That's just the way it is. And whether you're in the boardroom or the living room at home, we want things done our way. When I say to do it, the way I said to do it, how I said to do it, I want my ideas enacted. I want you to agree with everything I say. Why? Because it's my kingdom. That's the way we are. You come home, and you walk into the bedroom, and the kids' beds better be made. Why? Because you told them to. You know what that means? That means you're in charge. It's my little kingdom. You walk out in the yard. The yard's cut. The trash has been taken out. The chickens have been fed, whatever you want to talk about. Why is that? You know what that means? That means you're in charge. It's your little kingdom. I walk into my house at night. Sit down in my chair. My slippers are at the feet of my chair. I got a glass of iced tea right there, and a remote control. My dinner's being cooking as we speak. You know what that means? It means I'm at the wrong house, is what that means. <laughs> no, no. It's my kingdom. That's, that's what the truth is all about us. It's, we want my agenda, my comfort, my money, my success, my lifestyle, my achievement, my career, my opportunity, my security, on and on and on. And we pack our thrones one on top of the other, just like you're to the turtle, so we can see more and be in charge of more and more and more. But we forget, one of these days, some turtle at the bottom is going to burp, or worse. And there is worse than a burp. I have nine grandkids to back that up. A turtle is going to burp someplace, you know, probably in this lifetime, but certainly in the next lifetime. And we're all going to find out whose kingdom this really is.
belongs to the king of the universe, Jesus Christ. And when he comes back the next time, like we talked about last week, things are going to be different. He's going to turn things upside down. And this king of ours, he doesn't live at Wall Street. He doesn't live in Ukraine. He doesn't live in Washington or Hollywood. Or he, he lives in heaven, and he's coming back one of these days. And when you and I pray the prayer, yours is the kingdom, what we're actually saying is, Lord, we're tired of trying to be in charge. We surrender to you. Whatever you say, we're going to follow you. Anybody in here need to surrender? Anybody in here building up their throne, stacking things on top of each other that 100 years from now are going to make nothing at all? Anybody in here need to surrender something to the Lord? You got kind of a sin issue you need to, a grudge maybe, temptation? We're going to take just a minute and do that. Let's take a minute and pray. Jesus, we realize this is your kingdom, not mine, and we want to surrender. Now, listen, don't do that if you don't mean it. Because if you pray it, you don't mean it, and it'll mess your heart up. Take a minute and pray that, would you? It is your kingdom. It is your kingdom. How could, how could we not trust you? We proved you over and over, Jesus. We turn things over to you this morning again. Surrender those places in our life we're trying to control and turn it over to the only one who's worthy to follow, and that's you. Second phrase, Jesus says, yours is the kingdom and the power forever. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Anybody in here concerned about anything going on in your life? Anybody in here concerned with anything going on around us? It's a mess, isn't it? Anybody in here ever feel like they've jumped out of an airplane without a parachute? Seriously? By the way, I read last week that you don't really need a parachute to skydive. But you do need one to skydive twice. Think about that for a minute. But sometimes we do feel that way. Like, we, you know, we're just as hopeless. We got this mess at work. It doesn't look like it's ever going to fix. You know, we got this thing going on at school. It just is out of control. We got a problem with our parents. We got a problem with our kids. We got a problem with a spouse. Anybody in here ever get sick? Anybody in here have any money problems? Anybody have any problems at all? Can I remind you all something? You and I were never created to fix those things. For one real simple reason, we can't. Are you kidding me? But praise be to God through Jesus Christ, the power of God lives in each one of us and can fix those things in our life. That's why Jesus said, I want you to pray, yours is the power forever, and then not be afraid, because if we have Jesus in our corner, we don't have anything to be afraid of. Nothing. Now, here's the problem with most of us, at least it's, I, when I say most of us, it's always with me, okay? The problem is we believe that in here right now, because it's church, and we read it. But then when we get out there in the real world and the house isn't going selling exactly the way we expected it to or, you know, school's not going exactly the way we expected or money's not, you know, how those kind of things go. Then all of a sudden we start thinking about that. Classic example of that is in Acts chapter 12 around verse 4. Herod has just killed James. And we just talked about that last week, and it, it made so many people in his area happy. He decided he was going to kill Peter first, so he arrested him, and he was going to kill him in the morning, and Peter's in prison waiting, and, and verse 5 says the church was earnestly praying for him. So this, they weren't just doing shotgun prayers like we do sometimes. They were earnest, probably having a 24-hour prayer virtual, praying for Peter. This is what happened in verse 6. 
The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard outside the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Now, imagine this for a minute. You're Peter, and you're in prison, and you're so resigned to the fact you're going to die the next day, and you're so tired from the previous day, you just go sound asleep. And while you're asleep, you get whacked by an angel. Now, some of you in here are old enough to remember an old TV show, Touched by an Angel. Peter was not touched by an angel. He was whacked by an angel. And if you get whacked by an angel, you're going to wake up. So he woke up, and the chains had fallen off. And, and Peter, the Bible says, thought maybe he was in a trance, which is very interesting to me because that just shows us that he's a lot like us. I mean, he believes in Easter, too. He was there. He believes in Pentecost, too. He was there. But in this moment, when he needed the power of God, he's wondering, is this real? I mean, would God really come and take care of me? Isn't that interesting how we get that way? Now, you guys know the rest of the story. Uh, the angel opens up the gates. They walk right past the guards. They get down in the street a little bit. Peter comes to himself and realizes it's not a dream. He's free. So he runs to the first, first place he can think of, the one he trusts, the church. And he gets there, and he's banging on the door. And the servant girl, Rhoda, comes up, and she sees us, Peter. She's so excited, she leaves him on the stoop, out in the cold with all the soldiers running around. She goes in and yells, Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door. I love this. Verse 15 says, they say, you're out of your mind. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Get a load of those prayer warriors. Girl, don't bother us. We're having a prayer virtual vigil for Peter. He's not out there. He can't be. We're in here praying. He gets out of jail. What's the matter with you? They pray for the power of God. The power of God comes in their life, and they're shocked by it. I cannot tell you how many times that's been me. Just recently, that was me. Where I tried to fix something on my own, try to line things up on my own, figure out there's no way I can get that done. And then God comes in and takes over, and I'm shocked by it. And I tell you, after 40 years in the ministry, I'm a little embarrassed by that. But I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to trust in the power of God. Jesus said, mine is the kingdom and the power forever. You don't have to be afraid of anything. And I found that out, I bet you have too. When you pray and you do what he tells you to do, you find the money you need, even though it doesn't look like you could ever come up with that. You find the time you need. You find the energy you need. And I'm telling you, family, this Easter champion of ours is faithful. And if you have the courage to admit to him this morning, whatever has you in prison, I don't know what's in prison you, but you do. All kinds of things that have us in prison right now. Regret, guilt, temptation, following paths we have no business following. I don't know what your prison is, but you and I both know who can free you from it. The King of Kings. And he says this morning, mine's the power forever. You don't have anything to be afraid of. So we're going to take another minute, and we're going to admit to him this morning the area in our life that has us in prison, and we're going to turn it over to him right now. Would you do that? Lord Jesus, the future, the immediate future, can seem very exciting and very scary. 
This morning we remind each other in your company that yours is the kingdom and the power forever, and we will not be afraid. Thank you, Jesus. One more phrase, and then we're going to take communion together. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then Jesus said, touch me. You, you know what we're doing in here on South, at South Union on Sunday mornings, right? When we're singing and we're worshiping and we're putting our money in the little black boxes back there and taking communion together. We're, we're glorifying God's what we're doing on Sunday morning. With all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, at least we should. Because Jesus Christ, there has never been a, a more a worthy person of glory that walked this planet than Jesus Christ. Amen? Ever. Never. I love what Dallas Willard did in his book, Divine Conspiracy, when he paraphrases the Lord's Prayer this way. He says, because you're the one in charge, you have all the power, and the glory is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. He writes, just the way we want it is not a bad paraphrase for amen. He goes on to say this, what's needed at the end of this prayer is the ringing affirmation of the goodness of God in God's world, and if your nerves can take it, you might occasionally try whoopee at the end of the prayer. Whoopee, I love that. God loves that too. But you know, here's the thing that really gets me, and I, I don't mean to, I don't want to offend anybody, but most Sundays we can't even get you to clap. That first song we sang this morning should have brought the house down in here, but we can't do it for some reason. And here's the strange thing to me. Over the years, I've been to some high school baseball games with you. I've been to some high school volleyball games with you. I've been to some basketball games, some IU football games, and you guys can act like idiots, me too. But in here, I don't know. But I will tell you this. Whether or not we say whoopee at the end of this prayer, we better get those words off of autopilot because real soon, real soon he's coming back and when he comes back every knee will bow before him and we'll give him glory then I promise you will happen then the Bible makes it clear because of his obedience to the cross and his victory over death one day every knee will bow before our Savior Jesus Christ every president that's ever been president every world leader that's ever ever been a world leader every CEO of every big company every Hollywood movie star every million billionaire is going to bow their knees before Jesus Christ Chuck Schumer Nancy Pelosi Donald Trump will be on their knees before Jesus Christ Chris Pratt Will Smith and whoever that was he slapped in the face they'll be on their knees before Jesus Bill Gates Soros Adolf Hitler Joseph Stalin Vladimir Putin on their knees before Jesus Christ. Jimmy Cain, Chris O'Connor, Billy Graham, on and on and on. And some of us are going to bow graciously, and some of us are going to bow reluctantly. But we will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And it's like I told you last week, it's coming quick. Don't give it another week. If you're in the building this morning and you've not pulled the trigger on this thing, I'm begging you, come up here and do this. Everything we need is in Jesus Christ. So we come to the table like we do every week, recognizing all this, a broken body and his shed blood. And I love Jesus when he said, mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Touch me. Ah, he wants a relationship with us. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe if I can't put my hand in his side and, and, and feel the nail print. Touch me. If you have any doubt, I'm fine with that, Jesus says. Uh, but at least check me out. 
Come and touch me. Let's spend some time together. I want you to do that this morning. Turn over, surrender to him, and uh, just spend a few time, a minutes with him.